where this started. I don't want to ruin the spirit here, but there was this 84 year old woman who was in a blind date with a 93 year old man. The blind date didn't know what she was getting into. She went out on a blind blind date, came back, she lived with her daughter. And her daughter noticed that she's very frustrated, very upset. And her daughter said, What happened? Well, I had to slap him three times. She said, You mean he got fresh with you? She said, No, he appeared to be dead. Father, I want to thank you for this day. And Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want your kingdom, Lord God, to be seen by people. They would know that you're God and believe in you and believe in your love. A love that surpasses our understanding in our mind. But Lord, I know that you want to reveal it to in our heart. And I pray that you would do that this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time in my life, uh, I'm going through a transition, and uh, the, the Lord has a question for me. And uh, it's out of 2 Corinthians 5.14a. It says, For the love of Christ controls, uh, some versions it says, compels us. In the Message Bible, it says, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love is, has the first and last word in everything we do. In 1 John 4, 16, the Apostle John says, and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Those are two critical words. Have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. He says that God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's an intimate relationship which he so desires. And when he had his arms out like that in the cross, that was an invitation for an intimate relationship to you and me, to him. You know, I've read these scriptures many times. At this time in my life, God has me focused on love scriptures. More specifically, not my love, not your love, not the church's love, but his love. And so I ask the question, why? I know Jesus personally. I hear his voice. I know he loves me, but do I know that he loves me? I love him, but do I really love him? It's like God has peeled my life open, and I can see that there has always been something I wanted from him. When I came to know him at age 27, just a few years ago, out of desperation and hopelessness, 
I asked him into my life. He showed himself to be real and alive to me. My marriage was disintegrated, and I was all alone. Have you been in that situation where you have people around who care about you, but you're all alone? I needed hope. I needed assurance. I needed peace in my life. I was in turmoil. And I needed his wisdom and strength to change so that my wife could see that there was definitely something different about me after asking Jesus Christ into my life. That perhaps my marriage would be restored. And then later on, I, I wanted to teach. And I asked the Lord to help me to teach. In the mid-90s, up until about 2005, in the church as a whole, I'm not talking about this congregation specifically, but the church as a whole, there was a demonstration of, of the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And the most pronounced one was the prophetic gift. And my first exposure to that is when my wife and I went to what they call a full gospel businessmen's meeting in New Orleans, Minnesota. And I knew nothing about the spiritual gifts. I was relatively new in the kingdom of God. But there was a couple there who prayed for Jerry and I. And it's like somehow or another they'd gotten a hold of my mail to God because they repeated verbatim the things that I had prayed for a couple of years prior to that event. That was my first experience, and my wife's first experience with personal prophecy. But in that time, that time period in the church in the mid-90s to 2005, there was a lot of prophetic stuff going on. There, there, was, there were people, as you see up here, who would have a word of consolation or encouragement uh, or direction. And sometimes it got very personal that you needed to hear something from God that would encourage you, that would give you direction, that would give you purpose. And I wanted to be part of that. I was asking the Lord, I want to be part of that. There was a season in my life where I continually felt that I was a victim of injustice. And so I would ask the Lord for relief. And when I got it, it was a good sermon. But I'm asking the Lord for something. In this church, but the church as a whole, again, there was a real emphasis. It's interesting to he talked about these chronicles about people humbling themselves and praying. That same emphasis was occurring uh, in this body and the church as a whole from about 97, well, even before that, 97 to 2010, somewhere in there, whatever. This Houston over here was the house of prayer. And Wednesday night, we would have 15, 20 plus people over there praying. This used to be called the prayer room. And prior to the service, you could even have 15 people or more in there prior to the service praying. So, there's a season for everything. But God, that's what God was doing. 
And for many of us, we thought, you know, let's really pursue this because perhaps God would change the culture. Perhaps God would do something in the United States that more souls would come to know Jesus Christ. People would use the term revival. Now, these are all good things, but what was my motivation? I've always thought His purpose in my life. There's always been a motivator in my spiritual life since I've come to know Him at age 27. Now, I appear, and I'm going to emphasize, appear to be on the spiritual shelf. The question given to me is, do I know and receive the love that God has for me? When I read scriptures, I frequently looked for how I can be a better person. Or why do I have this problem? Or how can God solve my problem? I've been in a lot of personal conflicts my nature. And I asked God for help in solving those conflicts. And when I pray, I'm like most believers. I pray to God that He would satisfy a need in my life, or probably more frequently now, that God would satisfy a need in somebody else's life. It's like what Jesus told the Jews in John 5, 39 and 40. In the message Bible says, You have your heads in your Bibles, I will add your prayers. Constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. How often do I look for a how, a what, or when, or where in the Bible instead of who? Or when I'm praying, am I looking for a who or a need to be met? Now when I appear to be on this spiritual shelf and God has filled my spiritual life open, the question given me is, do I really know His life? As Paul said, does His love control me? Does it control you? I'm sorry, no. There's too many times in my life that's not a constant variable. If His love really was the first and last word in my life, I would be less irritated with people, profoundly at peace in every circumstance of my life, and not easily provoked when I'm under stress. And two weeks ago, in my office, I had a phone call. I was completing an email. I had three or four open files on my desk. When you have a lot of paper on your desk, it is stressful. Versus one piece of paper. And then I have two people at the door asking me a question for a problem they have, and they want the answer now. I gave it. I think my outward appearance was okay, but internally, I was not letting them. Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies. Let's get real. Let's, let's just start with our family first. Love our family members, and, and then the people that we work with, and, and then the people in the church. 
How many of you spouses had a little, little bit of a conflict when you came to church this morning? What sort of, what sort of thoughts are going through your mind? What sort of events did you have this week where you didn't really have loving thoughts towards somebody? How about that person that irritated you this week or inadvertently hurts you? A lot of times it's people you love. We hurt the people we love. You love your enemies? I, I can give you examples of not being controlled by His love. Our Lord habitually submitted Himself to the Father because He lived in the love of the Father. He engineered nothing but always left room for His Father and His Father's love. For most of us, we do engineer with all the sanctified ingenuity our abilities, our flesh, in response to adverse circumstances and conflicts. And we'll even use Scripture to justify how we engineer things. Just like Satan tempted Jesus with Scripture. It's easier to engineer things than determinedly submit all our power to Jesus in His life. For me, it's because I really don't allow Christ's love to always control directly. It's like I must do all I can, but Jesus says, I must realize His love for me and let Him do all He can. Now, it's easy for you to kind of take that in right now, but this week, when you're under stress and when you have a conflict, are you going to try and engineer certain results instead of letting Jesus do all He can? There was a long season in my life when fear was generated because of one person and a circumstance. This fear began to generalize to other people in other situations because I was determined to try and engineer the results I wanted. If I truly comprehended Christ's love, that circumstance would have been over much more quickly. He does have perfect love. And the Word says that perfect love casts out fear. It's not my love. You can't change this. It's His perfect love. And people who have anxiety and fear, I am convinced that one of the variables missing in their lives is an understanding of God's love. His profound love for people. We don't comprehend it. Or we don't give Jesus a chance to show that He really loves us, that He can do better in a circumstance than we can. Many people have genuine encounters with Jesus Christ. And they have a relationship with Him. But they put conditions on what they think love is. And I've seen it when, when people have these genuine Encounters, but they have conflicts or difficulties in their life. And when God doesn't answer their prayer, they fall away or their relationship becomes cool with Jesus Christ. God's love is unconditional. 
But if you really examine our hearts, if you really do, you find a lot of times we put conditional love on God. I've seen it where in marriages there was perhaps an affair. Um, people's hearts supposedly grow cold to one another, or the other excuses we just grow in different directions. But I've seen it where one of them awakes to the Lord has a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ and knows that nothing is impossible with God, but their marriage is not restored. And that person falls away. They put conditions on God's love. And every disappointment establishes the barrier in our mind and our heart to what God's love really is. And then it takes a revelation. It takes maybe another encounter with God to break that barrier down so we can really see the love that God has expressed to each of us on the cross. If husbands and wives really understood the love of God, that God has for them, and allowed, as Paul did, the love of God to control their lives, we have a lower divorce rate in the church. So what is love? Or who is love? And when we talk about love, quite often we refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the love chapter. Verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it's not arrogant, does not brag, does not act unbecomingly, does not speak its own is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in our righteousness or wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, believes the best in people, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Since his love never fails. Whose love never fails? Is it easy for you to do this? Here are good examples of how we seek the effect instead of the cause. We put the horse before the cart. Yes, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. But we don't receive and comprehend. We don't believe and know the love of God. That is the cause. Are you patient? Kind? Are you selfish? Are you provoked? Do you take into account the wrong suffering? It's one thing to see in the world, but it's, it's sad that we see it too often in the church. It's called offense. And it, it is the basis. It's the biggest thing because the fact you, you carry that thing may not be good. God is love. In 1 John 4, verse 8, it says, For God is love. The very nature of God, the, the very personality, the very essence of God is love. 
And then he defines, the Apostle John defines it in verse 10. For this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. Verse 19 is up there. It is. Okay. We love because He first loved us. Don't start with we love. Start with because He loved us. Then I can love. And to understand that this is love, it starts with God who is love. It starts with Him sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Open arms for you and me. I can't do First Corinthians 13, 4, if you said, you know, there's some of those I can do, but I have a, I have a few weak spots. I hate that one very But Jesus Christ can do this scripture. How do I receive his love? First of all, you must be born again. John 3 3. Jesus answered and said, And truly, truly, it said, Unless you one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see really. I mean, understand really fully appreciate as well unless you're part of his family. The Apostle John said in, in 17, chapter 73, which is not out there, this is eternal life, knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ. And he said, no, no, that's a personal relationship. The known. And God wants us to know more and more and more. He wants that intimate relationship with you and I. You must be born again to receive His love, His full love. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is not a command. It's simply a fact. You want to know perfect love? Know Jesus Christ. Seek Jesus Christ. Perfect love God cast out here. It's His perfect love flowing through you and me if we receive it. How do I see this love? Ephesians 5, verse 18. Be filled continually with the Spirit. You know, Christ is 100% passionately in love and committed to you and I. For us to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. And how often do we ask the Holy Spirit? Tomorrow when you wake up, do you ask the Holy Spirit to help you? And at noon, do you ask Him? When you're under stress, do you ask Him? Holy Spirit, help me. What's really interesting is when we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one that I think is that it ignores the most because he's least probably understood is the Holy Spirit. But that's the one that was sent to help us. Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The first one is love. 
Now, I want to emphasize that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not your fruit. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 25, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be more actively involved in our lives, that Jesus Christ would be glorified, and that the love of the Father and the Son would be manifested through the church. That people would truly know that we're His disciples because of the love that we have for one another. And I know that we're all busy, and that's the problem for me, but you know, it's a choice. It is a choice to walk by the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit, to ask the Spirit to help you continually. How do we see the love? Knowing the truth about Jesus, that He does love us. When I got married one month shy of 22, And my wife was younger yet. Still is. Both her and I brought garbage into the relationship. Based on our preconceived idea of how marriage should be and how that opposite sex should operate. And I have to say, for me, a lot of it was garbage. I had no clue. I wasn't born again either. I really didn't have a clue. But you know, when you are born again, you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and guess what? You bring garbage into that relationship. And a lot of times, it's a distortion of who God really is and His love for people. Now, I've heard it said that, that because, you know, we all have had fathers, and some maybe were better than others, but they're all imperfect, and some were abusive, and so that distorts us our understanding of the Father's love for us. So it takes a while for Jesus to clean up that mess. Here I am. It takes a lifetime. In Ephesians 5, 25, verse 30, this scripture is quite often used perhaps in, in marriage seminars, or when somebody's speaking on marriage, how the husband is to treat the wife and how the wife is to treat the husband. But there again, you're putting a cart before the horse. The emphasis really should be on how does Jesus Christ love you and me? Because if I really have an understanding of that, it's going to be a whole lot easier and I'm going to be a little bit more effective in loving my wife. If I truly know, and this has been a problem, but I really, really know if he is love, his perfect love for me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own lives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his own life loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Jesus doesn't abuse his body. He nourishes his body. You, if you're born, you are in his body. Now, I don't know what some of your functions are. Some of you could be fingers. Uh, some of you could be noses. Some of you could be ears. Some of you could be feet. And I don't know. But they're all important to Jesus Christ. And he does not abuse his body. He doesn't cut off his fingers. He nourishes and cherishes each of you. Uh, Ephesians 4, chapter 4. It's not out there. It says, I was speaking the truth and love. We are to go up in all aspects into the head, which is Christ, to whom the whole body is fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in life. Christ is nourishing you so that you, being part of the body, would function according to the, His calling in your life, that the body would grow and there would be love manifested. When I talked about Jesus orchestrating my circumstances, it's because I'm part of His body. I'm orchestrating my finger. I'm pinching my nose. My eyes are looking at you. I'm looking at you. My ears are listening. My feet are walking. When you are part of the body of Christ, Jesus is orchestrating your life. And He is, whatever He says to you, whatever He says or does for you, is designed to bring the best out of you. This is love. This is His love. This is divine love. Christ's love controlled the Apostle Paul's life because Paul understood that Jesus died for all. Now, Paul was called Saul before his conversion. And he was responsible. He's right in there with the stoning of Stephen. And he did persecute believers before he was knocked off his horse. Literally knocked off his horse and he's called alive. But do you think that, that Paul ever had flashbacks of that? He's human. Do you, do you ever think he thought about the fact that he's responsible for the murder of a number of believers before he was converted? He's human. But he understood the cross. He understood the love of God, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of Christ's love for him. I imagine any time he was tempted to think otherwise, he thought of the cross. He thought of Jesus Christ. He understood. He, he knew and believed the love that Jesus Christ has for him. Jesus said about the woman who washed his feet with tears in John 7, verse 47. 
For this reason, this is Jesus speaking, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. There's, Jesus is not making a comparison between numerous sins that one has committed versus the other, because we've all sinned and fallen short of all God. This has to do with really comprehending the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given us through His death and resurrection on the cross. There have been times in my life where I've probably appreciated it more than anything. When I came to know the Lord, and because I knew I was a bad guy, but I saw His forgiveness. Man, I really appreciated that. And then I equated that with His love. Paul saw how much he was forgiven through Jesus Christ. You know, as a society, we tend to have different levels of sin. I, I came out of the Catholic Church and you had the mortal sin, you had the venial sin. And one was worse than the other. But I think as human beings, we do that. And I, I'm thinking of Dave Wilkerson, who started Team Challenge. And, and he went to New York and he ministered to... Uh, the gangs there who were vicious. And he encountered a guy by the name of Nicky Cruz. There's a book out of him called Run, Baby, Run. And um, he had an encounter with Nicky Cruz, and Nicky Cruz would spit in his face and swear at him. And, you know, maybe I think one time he had a knife on him. He said, You know, I could kill you if I wanted to. And Dave Wilkerson said, Now, if the Lord doesn't want me to. Nicky Cruz became, after his conversion, became radical for the Lord. And those people who think that they can never be saved, that God could never forgive them, when the light bulb goes on, they are one of the most radical lovers of Jesus Christ because they're God. They understand the radical love of Jesus Christ for them. And there is no one beyond his reach no one beyond the cross of Christ to be saved. I think in these times, Jesus is wanting a radical church. Now don't get wild on me. I'm talking about love. Radical love. How do I know I have Jesus' love? Well, what is your motivation? In the beginning of my message, I told you about some of the things I was always asking the Lord for. And those are not bad things. You know, when you pray, or when you ask to thank the Lord, He uses that to draw you closer to Him, and ultimately to know Him. The Scriptures and prayer are to ultimately know and believe in the love of Christ. So what is your motivation? So let's look at John... 2115. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus and Peter are walking along. And this is the time where Jesus is restoring Peter. As you know, Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. And there's a couple types of love that are actually in the scripture. One is a godly love, which is divine love or sacrificing love. 
The first two times that Jesus asked Peter, that's the type of love he's talking about. And then there's the phileo love, which is the brotherly, kind-hearted, emotional love. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you love, divinely love, me more than these? And here's my question. Who are the these, or what are the these in your life? I've had time to think about it. I've shared some with you. Is it church? Do you love the church more than Jesus Christ? How about religion? Do you like do's and don'ts? How about your devotional time? Do you love that more than Jesus Christ? How, how about your talents and gifts? How, how about your position in life? Where you work? Or in the church? Do you love your family members more than Jesus? Jesus talked about this at least twice in Matthew and Luke. He said, there's got to be a big gap between your love for your family members versus him. The love that we should have for him just totally, 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 totally a lot more than your family members. I think it's good if you don't, you can't be his disciple. So what are the things in your life, these things in your life that you may have as a first love versus Jesus Christ? So Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus said to him, or Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love, emotionally love, the brotherly love I have for you. And Jesus says, Tend my land. Jesus is doing something here. He's giving him a focus. He says, You know what? You can only do that two times, but I'm putting something in you that's precious. I want you to tend my land. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me divinely? Do, do you self-sacrificing love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you emotionally, brotherly. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, you know, you say Simon, son of John. You know, I believe that when Jesus was talking to Peter, he was in a very gentle voice. A voice filled with love. And I'm sure Peter had a chance to look into his eyes. Now, this is the resurrected Christ. He saw, he saw the forgiving, profound love of Jesus Christ in his eyes. Simon, son of John, do you love me emotionally. He switches gears here. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me emotionally, the brother, brotherly kind of love? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I emotionally love you. That's where I'm at. Jesus said to him, can my feet. Peter knew that Jesus could read his heart. He knew exactly where Peter was at. But that's not where he left him. When he was giving him a purpose, he was doing something in this whole process of questioning. It was kind of a cleansing and a restoration for Peter. Because when I believe when Peter heard the forgiving, 
love that Christ was now expressing to him. He got it. He got it. He received the forgiving divine love of God, the divine love to love Jesus as he loved Peter, and the divine love to, to love others. How do I know that? Because you look at what Jesus says in verse 18 and 19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. You know, when, if you if you were really that person who denied Jesus three times, and now you go through this process, and then you understand that you are forgiven, that Christ esteems you and loves you, and says, "I can understand. Follow me." There would be a change in your heart. There was a change in Peter's heart. Now, in fact, you look at all the apostles. Peter was crucified upside down. Bartholomew that was skinned alive in India. Thomas, I think, was burned to the stake. I've seen the list of what has happened to these apostles. John was sent to an isolated island and died apparently of old age, but every other one of them died a horrendous death. And it's only the love of God that compelled and controlled them where you can get to that point. I'm not saying that that's where we're going, but that's a radical type of love from a radical God. St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. His love is perfect love. He cannot love more or less. It's unconditional and eternal. So my question is, do we live like we believe and know His perfect love? Does His love control us? You're sitting in the field, you're saying, yeah. You're very comfortable. But what happens when you truly experience the realities of life? Does the love of Christ control you? He wants us to believe. He wants us to know His love. And He wants us to receive it. How do you receive it? I think that's a choice also by the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's called being abandoned to Jesus Christ. That's why I say a lot of people who maybe were in difficult, real difficult times, perhaps they're in prison, perhaps they were murderers, perhaps, you know, whatever, whatever. And they don't think that God can, can save them, God can forgive them, but when the light goes on, they can see his radical love. That's why they're radical for him. They see that God is 100% passionately in love with them, and they return it, and they return it. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we'd all be one as He and the Father are one. And then He said, in the glory that You've given Me, I've given to them that they would be one. Just as I am them and Father, You are in Me, that they would be perfected in unity. And the world would know that You sent Me and that You love them like You love Me. Jesus is saying that the Father loves You like He loves Jesus. That's what the Scripture Said. Do we believe it and do we know it? 
The fact that you're here, God wants you to know that He loves you and that He wants you to receive that 100% passionate love that He has. He can do it. And He will do it. As we surrender to Him, as we ask the Holy Spirit for help, that His fruit would be manifested, and ultimately, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and honored. To Him be the glory and honor and praise forever. Father, I want to thank You for Your grace given to us today in Your Word. Lord, You desire for us to know You and know You more. Draw us closer to You that we be one with You. Fill us with Your Spirit. Fill us with Your love. Help us to receive it by Your Holy Spirit. Lord, let Your blessing rest upon each year. Let them know that they are in love. Help us to receive it in our mind and our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Be it. And enjoy it.